We're going to take our Bibles this morning, and I'm going to have you open them to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. A year ago today, the news was still fresh that a man on a flight from Amsterdam to the U.S. had tried, thankfully unsuccessfully, to blow up the plane that he was on on that flight on Christmas Day. Just a month ago or so, there was news that the FBI had successfully thwarted an attempt to detonate a bomb at a Christmas tree lighting ceremony uh, right up here in Oregon. And in the past year, we have seen financial, um, economic problems that we have not seen for many, many years, both on a national and even an international level and at very personal levels. It seems that chaos is around us in many forms, and very often it is easy for us to think that we Christians are just being swept along with it, along with everyone else. But the psalmist in Psalm 91 gives to us a picture of something mightier than the U.S. government, mightier than the almighty dollar of something more powerful than terrorists, more powerful than IEDs and cyber attacks and all of the other words that it seems have come into our parlance uh, just over the past few years. The psalmist in Psalm 91 speaks to us of one who is not taken surprise by any of these events, but in a mysterious way ordains them and orchestrates them and works in and through them, and that he has promised his people, whom he calls by his name, that he is their refuge, that he is their protection from things even that are far more devastating than terrorists on airplanes or downturns in economic markets. And so this morning we're going to turn to Psalm 91, and let's read it together. We'll read the whole psalm this morning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father in heaven, once again, we are thankful for your word. 
thankful that we can open it and, as it were, open your mind and see what you have for us today. We ask, Lord, that you're by your Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and our understanding, and that you would guide us, Lord, by what your Spirit says to your church today. May we listen attentively, and, Lord, may we be able to listen without distraction. We pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, this psalm, a familiar psalm uh, to most of us, is one of the most wonderful expressions of trust in God for both the author and for all who fall into the category mentioned here. Uh, The writer of the psalm, or the speaker in the psalm, begins uh, what is really here a little bit of a sermonette. And as he does so, he gives an encouragement to his hearers to trust in God. And he begins with verses 1 and 2, which are really an introduction to the rest of the psalm. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. As I say, that's kind of an introduction. And then what, he, what the psalmist does is through a series of very powerful poetic imagery, uh, he gives to us uh, a wonderful and vivid uh, understanding to, to bring home that point, and he does that in verses 3 through 13. And then at the end of the psalm, in verses 14 through 16, he brings in the most authoritative speaker. As we read in verses 14 through 16, what is really the promise of God himself uh, in the, the voice of God himself concerning these things. And what we want to see this morning in this psalm, in just a few minutes of looking at it, is the fact that those who make God their refuge are blessed. Those who make God their refuge are blessed. And we're going to look at three aspects of this psalm, three themes that are brought out through this psalm, this wonderful Psalm 91. The first of those, the first truth that we want to to bring to your attention and for you to remember as you go from this place today and as you go through the rest of the week and into the new year, I want to impress these things upon you. And the first is that dwelling in God's presence provides protection. Dwelling in God's presence provides protection. In verse 1, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. To dwell in the shelter or in the shade of a king in the ancient Near East really meant protection. That was one of the main things that a king did is that he offered protection for his people. In fact, in speaking of the protection that's offered by the king, uh, the king of Israel, Hosea says in Hosea 14.7 that men will again dwell in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. And this was a common way of speaking in the ancient Near East. In ancient Near East, this idea of dwelling in the shelter of this king. Now, to dwell in the shelter of a king is good. But to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, the King over all kings, is better still. And this too is a metaphor that Scripture often uses to refer to the protection of God for His people. In Psalm 27, 5, the psalmist says that in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And, of course, that well-known Psalm 32, uh, verse 7, he says, You are my hiding place 
You preserve me from trouble. Think on that for a moment, people. Dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. How much more uh, comforting it is, how much more protection is offered when we dwell in the, the shelter of God Almighty. Now this also speaks to us of who this psalm is about. Notice how it begins. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It is he who dwells that will abide. That is who this psalm is speaking of and giving assurance to is the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And as I mentioned that the psalmist here in Psalm 91 now uses this poetic imagery, very strong visuals here to describe the protection that he speaks of there in verse 1. He speaks of the extent of God's care and protection. He speaks of the intensity of God's care and protection. And he speaks of the agency of God's care and protection. He speaks of the extent of God's care and protection first. He says that God protects his people in the face of unseen dangers, first of all. In verse 3, as he begins to develop this and and to work it out, he says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, fowler, of course, is someone who catches birds. And a snare is a trap that is used to catch those birds. It is an intentional trap. And that's what the psalmist is saying that God protects us from, is the intentional trap that is set by someone for you. Jeremiah 5.26 tells us that there are those kinds of people out there. There are those kinds of tactics. He says, Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch men. Solomon writes of those who say, Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. These things that we don't see coming, unseen uh, dangers that are out there. And of course, because they're unseen to us, we don't know how many times God has protected us from these kinds of things because they're unseen. That's the nature of these snares. He also speaks here of the deadly pestilence. That speaks of diseases and calamities that come more uh, by natural means. But in both of those, both intentional and natural things, things that are unseen by us, God's protecting hand is there. He goes on in verses 5 and 6 to tell us that God protects us from all things at any time. That there is nothing that comes in and disturbs you and threatens you that God is not aware of and that God does not in His way, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, protect you from. In verse 5 and 6, he says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. So he speaks there of the night, the day, the noon, and the darkness. That pretty well covers all of time. And he says that in all of those things, God's protection, his sheltering care is upon his people. He protects us from small things that would endanger us. Little things that we think, oh, God might not be concerned about little things. But the psalmist says that God is. Look down in verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Lest you stub your toe. 
You know, very little things. There's hardly anything smaller in the grand scheme of things than stubbing your toe. But the psalmist says that God even guards us against those types of things. Jesus said that the very hairs of our head are numbered. That's also a very small thing. Smaller for some of us than for others. But this verse assures us that it's not only the great, big, grand things that are of concern to God in regard to his people, to those who have made the Lord their dwelling place, but even the very small things, the things that concern us, concern God. And whether they're physical or spiritual, God protects us from all danger, from all causes of fear. Now that doesn't mean that he keeps us from experiencing any of these things, but that he protects us from their ability to do us any real harm. Though trouble may come to us, and I think as Christians we know that trouble does come. In this world we have tribulation. We do have trouble. But though trouble may come, listen to this, there is no real evil in it for you. Oh, the intention might be evil, but remember the statement made by Uh, Joseph to his brothers, he says, you intended this for evil, but God meant it for good. And remember that passage that we've looked at uh, in Romans chapter 8. that says that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. So though bad things might come against you and do come against you, Christian, guess what? God uses them for good. It comes, whatever it is, it comes from the loving heart of a Father who loves you, from the heart of a God who uses it so that you will be sanctified. It will come not for your hurt, but for your good. And so though the intent might be evil, the outcome is not evil. God protects you from the the evil in it as he uses it for your good. So we see the extent of God's protection. We also see the intensity of God's protection. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. See, in verse 1, he talks about shelter and shadow. And in verse 2, he talks about refuge and fortress. And now those two sets of images here in these um, these later verses are opened up for us. And we see the willingness of God to protect. Verse 4 picks up the idea of the shelter and the shadow, which is really a picture of, of a parental type of care, a protection. The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 4, he develops that by this, this picture. He says, He will cover you with his pinions. That is, with feathers. Of course, this is anthropomorphic language, uh, using language that, that we can understand, language that is familiar to us. God doesn't have wings. God doesn't have feathers. God doesn't have a body. But the psalmist uses this to explain how God, in his love and his care and his concern, how he treats his people. Under his wings, You find refuge, the psalmist says. 
In Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 and 11, God spoke to his people in a similar way. He said, In a desert land he found him, and that's referring to Israel, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Again, pinions are feathers. Just such a a homey kind of picture here of a bird protecting its, its brood, gathering them under her wings to protect, her, to protect them. Remember Jesus, as he wept over Jerusalem, used that same imagery. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. The same idea here. The greatest tenderness and affection. That is what God has to his people. Contrary to much of the popular view of God today, which is the idea of a vengeful God who's just waiting for you to slip up so he can squash you, or from a God who is absent, who just kind of watches from afar, detached from the concerns and the dangers people face, the psalmist says, no, that's not God. God is concerned. And God cares for you. God protects you. He's willing to protect his people. Then the the imagery shifts a little bit. And we're reminded not just of the willingness of God to protect, but the ability of God to protect. We hear in verse 2 about a refuge and a fortress. That's different imagery than the shelter and the shadow. The psalmist is is assuring the believer of these truths here that he will deliver you, that he will will cover you, he will protect you. It's It's a show of strength. It's an image of strength. Look at the end of verse 4. He he develops that a little bit. He says, His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. That is, it is those things to you. Christian, it is so comforting to know here at the end of this year, the beginning coming of next year, that your well-being is of concern to God and that it is something that He is active in uh, guarding. Your well-being is not in your own hands. Though, of course, we're commanded to do all that we can to protect our own lives. Uh, We're all commanded to do all we can to protect our own health and the welfare of others. But the one who watches over us, the one who protects you, is the Lord. And notice, at the end of that verse, it says, His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. That's wonderful. It's not our faithfulness. His faithfulness is what gives you comfort, what gives you strength, what gives you protection. says that he is a shield and a buckler, his faithfulness is. And that's, a shield is, is a word that speaks of a great big shield that could be hidden behind. The idea of a buckler is a small shield that was able to be used in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, in all ways, God is protecting his people. He's able to do that. He is almighty. He is powerful. So God is both willing and able to care for his people. His care is both tender and it is sufficient. It is strong. And it is sure. 
We've seen the willingness of God to protect and the ability of God to protect. But in verses 14 through 16, at the end of the psalm, we see the promise of God to protect. And here, as we go through this, as you look at this psalm, you'll notice that the the voice changes. Uh, First person, second person, third person. Here it's back to first person in verse 14. He says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. This is God speaking. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is an oracle of God. The psalmist here speaking for God. The fullness and the depth and the assurance that this psalm brings comes to those, in verse 14, who hold fast to him in love. Again, this is not for everyone. This is for his people, for those who trust him, for those who have been bound to him, who call to him. Verse 9 even says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Because of that, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. These will find help and shelter and rescue and salvation. Verse 16 says, in God and in the promise of God. So we've seen the extent and the intensity of God's protection. The third thing here is that we want to see the agency of God's protection. Now this is, a side note here, this is a little bit more complicated of an outline than we usually have. We have some sheets over there with all the outlining done for you, but it's a little late in the sermon now for that. So hopefully you're able to follow along with these points and subpoints. We're looking here now at the agency of of God's protection. The psalm psalm gives to the reader an indication of how God provides this protection. It's talked about that he does. Now it talks a little bit about how he does. Of course, God himself is the one doing it. We've seen in verses 3 and 4 that he will deliver, that he will cover you, that he does these things. But he enlists the help of his servants. He enlists the help of these servants to aid in watching over his people. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again, God's in control. God is the one. He says he will command. And it's such a comfort to know that he will command. In Psalm 34, we read that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Here he says that his angels are commanded by God, are given a charge to watch over his people. These angels, of which there are an unknown number, myriads of myriads, ten thousands of ten thousands, are commanded by God to watch over you as God's child. There's a great example of this. You know, we don't usually see this. But we are given a, a look behind the curtain at one point in Second Kings chapter six in verses eight through seventeen, the story of Elisha and the army of Syria, and they, uh, the the king of Syria sent this army to to get Elisha. And remember that his servant goes out in the morning, and there's this big army of the Syrian army is surrounding the city, and and Elisha's. Um, assistant says, oh, you know, Elisha, what are we going to do? They're surrounding us. We're, we're done for. And Elisha prays, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And then the text tells us that he saw, looked and saw 
an army, a great army of fiery chariots surrounding uh, the outside of, of these people to protect his own people. God protects us. We don't always see the divine protection. In fact, most of the time we don't. We don't see the divine protection of which the psalmist speaks, but we always have the promise of it. That's what we're talking about this morning, that God is assuring us of this. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's you, Christian. They are sent out for your sake. Now, this isn't teaching the idea of guardian angels where everybody kind of has their, their own specific little angel that follows them around and keeps them from car crashes and things like that. This is better. It's not one-to-one, but it's all for all. All of these angels are said to protect God's people. So we see that dwelling in God's presence provides protection. The second main point here is that dwelling in God's presence provides rest. The one who dwells in the presence of God is safe, not only from ultimate harm and evil, but therefore they are protected from the fear of evil. If you know that nothing is really going to cause you ultimate harm, you don't have to fear that. Back in verse 1 again, the result of one dwelling in God's presence and the protection that that brings is that this one can abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The one who dwells in the shelter will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. To abide means to dwell in restful serenity and safety. And it means to have a continued presence, a continued home. See, it's not just that through this, through Christ, we have access to this protection, but we abide within it. It's like the difference of being away in some other country and knowing that you, have, uh, you could have temporary shelter in an in a embassy. The difference between that and how you feel when you're at home within the protection of your own land and of your own uh, country. Genesis 19.8, remember Lot gave protection to the angels. He said, they've come under protection of my roof. They're abiding with me, and so I will protect them. And this... Abiding with God and in His protection is the cry of the believer in Psalm 17.8 and it's the promise to Him that we have here. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace Him whose mind is steadfast because He trusts you. And again, we're reminded again that this is for those who trust in God. This is for Christians. Who have this. Rest cannot be had apart from dwelling in the Most High. But to those who do, it is a sure promise. To you today, it is a sure promise if you trust in Christ. In fact, in Christ, of course, we get the ultimate blessing, the ultimate rest. In fact, in Matthew 11, I think it is. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Do you want rest? I think we all want rest. We all want peace. We all want assurance. We all want 
rescue from the anxiety that we sometimes feel. And there are so many people in this world today with so many fears, fears of everything. They call them phobias today. You can be afraid of just about anything under the sun. There's a phobia for it. Some people even have heliophobia. That's fear of the sun. So you can be afraid of anything. But the Bible has the cure for that. It says that perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love has come to us in Jesus Christ. Especially we fear that one fear that is, that is truly rational, the fear of judgment. The only cure for that is the fear of God. That is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God, serve Him, worship Him, and be assured when you do that that all other fear is unnecessary. Because he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides in the shadow of the Almighty. God gives rest to His people. The rest that we have even in the midst of threats of terror, of terrorism, uh, even when things do go wrong, even when Christians are killed, even when we ourselves are diagnosed with diseases, dread diseases, even when our livelihood is threatened, even when loved ones are taken from us, we people of God can still be at rest because we dwell in a place of rest within the shelter of Almighty God. Even in our own death, fear is removed because Christ has taken the sting away from death. Wow, what a blessed privilege it is to dwell in the shelter of El Shaddai, the Almighty God. So we've seen that dwelling in God's presence provides protection and that it provides rest. Finally, we see that it provides salvation. We see that right at the very end of the psalm. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The great blessing of dwelling in God's presence is seen in the fact that it is a dwelling, a putting off just not of fear, but of also of putting off working and finding our rest in the protection of God. And in trusting in Christ, we have that given to us. He has been promised that he he will see the travail of his soul. You see, not only has God promised to protect you for your sake, but he has promised to keep you and to protect you for Christ's sake, for the sake of him and the people that he has been given. Well, how is it then that we can dwell in this place of such blessing, of protection and rest? How can we dwell in this shelter of God? How can we dwell with God when God can't dwell with sin and we are sinners? How is it that we who know that we do not do what this psalmist or what the psalmist here says we need to do if we are to be assured of this, how can we, how can we gain that? How can God give us the promise that he gives specifically here in verses 14 through 16? Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He says that this is promised to the one who dwells in him because he holds fast to me in love, because he knows my name. 
He dwells with those who delight in him. How do we delight in him? How do we hold fast to him in love? We don't do it ourselves. Do you hold fast to God perfectly? Do you love God perfectly? No, I don't. None of us do. Well, beloved, let me begin to wind things down here this morning by giving you this wonderful truth, that though you didn't, though you don't, that there was one who delighted fully in God. In fact, he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. He dwelled in the presence of God because, as the Apostle John tells us, he was God. He is God. He did fulfill the commandments. He did hold fast to God in love. He did know the name of God. And unlike you and I, he deserved the blessings of this psalm. He earned the praises and the protection and the deliverance and the honor that verse 15 speaks of. He earned the reward of being satisfied with long life, as verse 16 says. God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, did all these things. And He dwelt in the shelter of the Most High. He made His Father His dwelling place. He did everything that the Father sent Him to do. And yet, we read in Isaiah 53.10 that it was the Lord's will to crush him. He came and he stood in as a substitute for us who do not love God perfectly. In fact, let me reread here verses 14 through 16 with the reality as Christ knew it, as he came to take our place, as he came to suffer as one who does not dwell in the shelter of Almighty God. We might say, although he holds fast to me in love, I did not rescue him. In fact, I allowed him to be turned over to earthly authorities and let him go to death, even death on a cross. I did not protect him, though he acknowledged my name. He called upon me. He said, let this cup pass from me. And I did not answer him. I was not with him in trouble. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I delivered him up and treated him as a sinner. He was cut off out of the land of the living. And I showed him my wrath. And in this... Because of this, we can find it true of us, even as the first hearers did, that there is indeed great blessedness in dwelling in the presence of God. That way into the shelter of God's protection has been provided by Jesus Christ. On the cross, he bore the wrath of God for your rejection of God. And in his righteousness, his loving God, he gained the reward that now he gives to you freely, if you but believe on him. The hidden place, the place of security, the shelter of the Most High 
is found in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimate protection. This is the ultimate rest. For those who trust in God, for those who make the Almighty God their dwelling place, for those who sit in the security of the shelter of the Most High, there is security. There is peace. There is safety. There is salvation. Now you might say, Pastor, I'm I'm afraid that I don't buy this completely. I... My family, we've been caught in the snare. We've been taken advantage of. Wicked people have prevailed over us. I've not been kept free from physical problems. I have an ongoing illness. Some people in the past year have been diagnosed with life-changing, if not life-threatening diseases. Others have experienced accidents. Others have come down with physical problems. Through the downturn of the economy, some of you have faced difficult times. Some are in what we would call dire straits because of it. And the prospect for 2011 is not much better. So you might say, this doesn't seem to be true for me, Pastor. And it may shake your faith to hear that God's people need not worry. Because you might say, I'm worried. That God's people are watched over and protected by God. You might be wondering, am I really a beneficiary of these promises? Well, the first answer to that is, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not a beneficiary of these. You must be trusting in Christ to be a beneficiary. You must be dwelling in the shelter of the Most High that was provided by Christ. But if you are a Christian, let me remind you that in in life, the Lord may permit many terrible things to happen to you as his children, but that doesn't mean that he's taken his hands off of you. That doesn't mean that he has removed his protection. Remember Job? God let Satan test him grievously. But the Lord set the limits, didn't he? And the Lord upheld Job in that time. And he used everything that the enemy threw at Job to the ultimate benefit of Job. In the New Testament, when Jesus was telling Peter that Peter was going to deny him, He said, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. And then Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. A terrible thing was coming upon Peter, just as a terrible thing came upon Job. A different type of thing, but a terrible thing. But Christ said, I've prayed for you. We've seen that God gave his son up to wicked men. There's a terrible thing, but God used that for the ultimate good. So, child of God, hearing me this morning, know this. There is no power. There is no situation. There is no circumstance that is outside of God's control. And since you know that, trust God. By the way, as you trust God, act responsibly. Act biblically. Remember, we don't just put God to the test by saying, okay, God, I trust you, and so I'll just sit here and see what you're going to do. No, he's commanded us to do certain things, hasn't he? Make godly, biblical decisions regarding your finances. If you find yourself ill, use the means that God has put within your power for your healing. Use the medical profession. 
Use the various things that he's given. And in all things, pray for God to use those things for your good. But God is our Savior. He is our shelter. He is our fortress. And nothing, no one, no enemy, no power can storm the castle of God's redeeming love and take you prisoner. Isn't that great to know? Hold fast to God and he will deliver you. Verse 14 encourages us to that. So as we go into this new year, dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Say to the Lord as the psalmist did, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Our dwelling place is in the shelter of the Most High God. And as you do that, you will find that that place is a place of protection, a place of rest, and a place of salvation. And that you are always and ever in His all-loving, all-powerful hand, now, today, next year, and forever. Let's pray. God, Your Word is so precious to us. It, It is what we need when these things come against us, whatever they may be, illness, financial hardships, family difficulties, all of the various things that come against us, fear of our own death, whatever that fear may be, your word is to us a standard. And you, O God, are our shelter. You, O God, are the one who protects us. You are sovereign and you love your people. Lord, we pray that you would use these words today to speak comfort to your people, to speak confidence to your people. And may we ever and always seek with everything that is in us to thank you for it and to rejoice in your care for us through Jesus Christ. Amen.